Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqah Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina istafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatamil anbiya wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi latqiya. Amma ba'd. The way people perceive things is very important. How people see something and potentially even how you can impact their perception by building a carefully crafted perspective. Perception is how an individual sees the world and perspective is sort of the surrounding, the the room around them through which they're seeing everything. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam delivers revelation to the people of Makkah Mukarramah in the early days, it's about building a new perspective and therefore changing their perception. What's the new perspective? The perspective is that Muslims don't live purely for this dunya, we live for the akhirah. We live in the dunya, there are challenges that we face, there are hurdles that we must overcome, but ultimately every decision of ours, every career decision, every family decision must be in line with what benefits us most in the hereafter. This is what makes the Muslim different. This is what makes us unique. Not the way we dress, not our names, not the food we eat. These are all secondary things. The primary thing is that a Muslim sees the world through the lens of the Akhirah. Allah in the opening revelations in the Makki surahs, this is the theme again and again and again. That if we can get the human being to see the world through the lens of the Akhirah, the human being will accomplish great things. That human being will become selfless and they won't do what they desire to do, they will do what is right to do. As Rasulullah teaches this pure message, because this message of living for the Akhirah and not being bound to subjective worldly success. Today one community says this is success, tomorrow another community says this is success. 
When you liberate people from being slaves to the dunya and then connect them with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's profound because you free the human being, but it's also very complicated for those that are in power because strength and dominance is snatched away from their hands. They don't like that. Therefore, when the Sahaba stood in front of the Persian general Rustum and he asked, why have you guys come here? This is after the passing of Rasulullah um, The Muslim ambassador says, Allah sent us. So we take mankind from worshipping mankind. Because without revelation, that's all that remains. Your mind, your thoughts, your desires are submitted to a class of people that have placed themselves in charge of the rest. As influencers influence people through social media, through movies, and through shows, the believer is an influence because min Because the believer's loyalty lies with Allah not with people. So if what you're saying coincides with what Revelation teaches me, then sure, let's do it. But if it contradicts, for the Muslim, it is such an easy decision. It's so easy to just walk away that I, I'm not going to do this. Why? I'm just not going to do it. If you watch the McGregor and Khabib shenanigans prior to their fight, at one point McGregor tries to offer him whiskey. How easy of a decision was it for him not to touch that, not to look at it, not to consume it? He didn't care. He said, I don't drink this. Why? I don't drink it. That's it. Done. Because for a Muslim, decisions are made in lieu of consideration of the Akhirah. We don't decide things for the dunya. Not only for the dunya. There could be a dunya we benefit to what we do. But the primary goal is the hereafter. رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ that last part of actually quantifies the first two parts of the dua. Oh Allah, atina fi dunya hasana, give us good in the world. Give us good in the hereafter. And protect us from the fire of hell. So whatever is going to protect us from the fire of hell, in reality is the definition of good in the dunya and in the akhirah. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana, akhirati hasana. This is what qualifies the earlier two. The Quraysh didn't like it because they felt Rasulullah's message that all mankind are equal. The Prophet's message in equality that we don't live for the dunya, we live for the akhirah was um, it snatched away authority from them and they weren't about to give it up. But how do you sway people away from a person with such a pure message? How do you stop them from listening? What you have to do is create a counter-narrative. Propaganda. And I smile because that's what today's world more or less is. It's just narratives and propaganda. 
it becomes so confusing and it requires so much effort to actually come to the bottom of a single truth that most of us don't stand a chance against this machine. You don't stand a chance. You can try hard, but it's so exhausting, it's so overwhelming. And even the bastions of um, ethics, when you see them falling face down, that even they are biased, even they have an agenda, it's so difficult to believe in something. And this was a tactic that was used by the Quraysh against Rasulullah that we will build another narrative. The truth is that a counter-narrative can be created and promoted a thousand times around, but if it is a lie, people of intelligence will see that it is nothing more than a lie. They will see the truth. When a person, everyone in the community says something evil about a person, this person's bad, this person's this, this person's that, you interact with them yourself, you see the reality, it's different. No, they're actually not that bad. Everyone said so-and-so person is immoral, when in reality they're actually not that immoral. I was speaking to Sheikh Abdul Nasser earlier this week, and um, I can't share the details because everything is very uh, sensitive. But it was regarding a particular musician. And I said to him that this particular musician, I've never listened to this person and neither do I, uh, this, I, I don't think I've ever listened to a song from this person, but very popular individual. And every time I heard about this person on the news, they always presented this particular individual as a nut job, like completely lost it. Until one time, I watched a Letterman interview with that particular musician. And when I saw it, I thought to myself, this person's smart. All this time I thought this guy was a dummy. But in reality, this guy's actually very intelligent. And the more he spoke, I was further impressed. And it's not so much about outcomes. I don't think we judge a person's intelligence purely based off the outcomes. It's about the process, the way a person thinks, the way they build ideas. So you can lie and lie and lie, but the people of intelligence, all of you guys are thinking, who is this person? It's Kanye, there you go. <laughs> I was impressed, I'm not gonna lie to you. I was impressed uh, by, the, by just the, the, the way the argument was developed, by the way this person was articulating their thoughts, the way they were arguing, the way they were building um, their thought process. It's clear that there was intelligence here. Um, but every time you lie, as you continue to lie, the people of intelligence will see through it and see the truths. And it's only a matter of time before any people that remain with a sound fitrah will be able to see the cloud, will be able to see through this cloud. They will see through it. And this is what happened with a Sahabi who visited Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam without any intention of actually visiting the Prophet who met the Prophet ﷺ without the intention of even meeting the Prophet. He lived far away and made the intention of performing a pilgrimage. Early days of Islam, 
He leaves his hometown, makes his way to Mecca. He is a known poet, intelligent man. The Quraysh, when they see him, they're excited. Yes, this is a leader here. We're going to host him. We're going to take care of him. We're going to give him the VIP treatment. So, when the Quraysh sat with him, they begin to whisper into his ear, watch out for this guy in Mecca. He's a little cuckoo called Muhammad. He doesn't know who the Prophet ﷺ is. So when they say to him, watch out for him, he feels that I had no intention of interacting with him, but even if I were to, I'm intelligent enough to be able to differentiate between right and wrong. I, I can make my way through a conversation. I don't need your assistance. So when they noticed that in him, they upped the antics a little more. And they said, not only is he influential with his persuasion, but this man is a magician from a pagan community, an idol-worshipping society. You throw the word magic in there and everyone's about to lose their sleep. Magic? He will separate between the husband and wife. This person will separate between the father and his son. Any family member that he sees together, he has words to separate them. So Tufail bin Amr al-Dawsi radiyallahu an says, فَوَاللَّهِ مَا زَالُوا بِي يَقُسُّونَ عَلَيَّ مِنْ غَرَائِ بِأَخْبَارِهِ They continue telling me how scary the Prophet was. يُخَوِّفُونَنِي عَلَى نَفْسِي وَقَوْمِي بِعَجَائِ بِأَفْعَالِهِ They continue to warn me of how horrific and terrible this man was and how he would impact me, my people and my family until I came to the conclusion, I made an intention that I would not speak to him and not listen to a word that he said. The next day, he went to the Kaaba for Tawaf. They traveled for the idols, for the Kaaba. The Kaaba housed the idols of all the nearby tribes. So what he did was, he placed kursuf, cotton, in his ears to ensure that no sound would penetrate and he would be protected. He wouldn't hear Rasulullah But he kept thinking in his mind that am I going over the top here? He sees Rasulullah enter into the masjid the Prophet ﷺ is praying. He's like, his salah is a little different. The way he worships is different. Because the Arabs would not do sajda. They wouldn't go that low to the ground. Why is he doing sajda? What's so unique? What's so different about this person? So when Rasulullah uh, heads back home, he follows him. And he approaches the Prophet and says, O oh Muhammad, that your people have warned me of interacting with you. They continue to warn me of the impact you would have that I place cotton in my ears. ثُمَّ أَبَى اللَّهُ إِلَّا أَنْ يُسْمِعَنِي شَيْئًا مِّنْ 
But however, even though I placed cotton in my ears as you were worshiping, there was this beauty that made its way in. And I saw something and I heard something. Here I take the cotton out. Fill my heart with your message. Present it to me. فَعَرَضَ عَلَيَّ أَمْرَهُ وَقَرَأَ لِي سُورَةَ الْإِخْلَاسِ وَالْفَلَقِ Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam presented Islam to him and then he is one of the special companions who had a one-on-one qira'a session with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recited for him passages of the Qur'an فَوَاللَّهِ مَا سَمِعْتُ قَوْلًا أَحْسَنَ مِنْ قَوْلِهِ I did not find someone whose message was more balanced and just than his. And there was no sound or no message I heard that was more beautiful than the message of Rasulullah If reading the Qur'an can shake the heart of a non-Muslim, if a person reading the Qur'an at an interfaith event can bring the community to tears, if a qari' who travels in today's world to a community, to a group of people who do not understand the Qur'an, if you want to understand what I'm talking about, go on YouTube and type in Sheikh Ramadan Hindawi reading in Pakistan. Like put those words together and throw it in the search box and just watch what you see. It's shocking. Because the folks in Pakistan don't really understand the Qur'an. It's not their native language. Arabic is not their native language. But when you see someone like Sheikh Ramadan Hindawi reading Qur'an, it's like these people are throwing their topis in the air. Not literally. But they lose it. The Qur'an has such an impact on them that it lifts the spirits. Sheikh Ramadan Hindawi, when he would visit England, he had a very close relationship with our Sheikh, Sheikh Yusuf Rahimahullah. So out of respect, I mean this world-renowned Qari, out of respect for Sheikh Yusuf Rahimahullah, every time he would be in England, he would come by to the madrasa to meet the Sheikh. I remember on one occasion, Sheikh Yusuf Rahimahullah Ta'ala said to him, recite some Qur'an in front of the students. So he read Qur'an and it was so beautiful, mashallah, so beautiful. I feel like I injured my neck. I was so locked onto him that I forgot to move my head around for like 40 minutes straight. Then I was like, oh, I need to be moving around a little. And then when he was leaving, the car awaited him outside. Sheikh Yusuf Rahimullah walked with him to his car. And when it came time for Sheikh Ramadan Hindawi to sit into his car, Sheikh Yusuf and the students, we were standing, waiting for him to enter into the car so the car can drive off. Look at this man's adab. He refused to sit in the car while the Sheikh stood. He said, I can't sit while you're standing. Ahl Misr, look at their adab. So there was a fountain with a little seat around it. He held the Sheikh by his hand and almost forcefully had Sheikh Yusuf Rahimullah sit on the side of the, this fountain. And when Sheikh sat down, then he went inside inside his car. You learn these things when you see giants interact with one another. What adab is. And what kind of character you should have when you deal with seniors. He's so touched. 
And I was saying that if all of these people's reading of the Qur'an can impact the hearts of others, imagine the impact that happened to the heart of Tufayl bin Amr al-Dawsi when he receives this honor directly from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam reads the Qur'an for him. Imagine the change that occurred. A person looks at the Prophet's face for one moment, they become a Sahabi. A person sees Rasulullah in their dream for a few moments. And their life changes. That's all they speak of for the rest of their life. If they live to have grandchildren, they will tell them that story too. That Baba, one day I saw the Prophet in my dream as well. But this man is blessed with the honor to hear Qur'an directly from the one on whose heart the Qur'an was revealed. His whole life changed. In that moment, that was it. فَبَصَطُّ يَدِي إِلَهُ I extended my hand out toward Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَشَهِدْتُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدٌ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ وَدَخَلْتُ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ Right then, he knew this was the right thing. He puts his hand into the hand of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he testifies in the oneness of Allah and the prophethood of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and then he enters into Islam. He says that I spent some time in Makkah Mukarramah learning the basics of Islam and then time came for me to go back home. I said, O Messenger of Allah, I have a family back in my tribe. People respect me. And now it's time for me to head back. But I promise you, even though I am far away from you, I will teach your deen wherever I am. I will teach it to my family, to my tribe, to my people. My request to you is, make dua that Allah gives me a sign. So when I speak to my people, they will see the sign and accepting Islam will become easy for them. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ Allahumma ja'allahu ayatan. The Prophet made dua, Oh Allah, bless him with a miraculous sign. He started heading back home, and on his way, he was in this dark place. And all of a sudden, there was this light that was glowing from his forehead. And he realized this was the dua the Prophet made for him. The miracle had come, it was on his face, there was a light emitting from his face. So he made dua, Allahumma ja'alhu fi ghayri wajhi. Oh Allah, give me the sign but remove it from my face. The reason why he made this dua was because he feared that if he entered upon his tribe and they saw a light in his face, and when he told them that he was now a part of a new religion, rather than viewing that as a sign, a gift from God, they would say this is the beginning of a punishment of God upon you. And the whole da'wah would fire back on him. فَإِنِّي أَخْشَى أَنْ يَظُنُّوا أَنَّهَا عُقُوبَةً فَوَقَعَتْ فِي وَجْهِ لِمُفَارَقَةِ دِينِهِمْ He made this dua to Allah, Oh Allah, change the light from where it is to somewhere else. فَتَحَوَّلَ النُّورُ فَوَقَعَ فِي رَأْسِ صوتي. So the light shifted from my forehead and was now on the top of my whip, the whip they would use to move their animals around, right in the handle at the top of my whip, the light was there. فَجَعَلَ النَّاسُ يَتَرَاءُونَ ذَلِكَ النُّورُ فِي صَوْتِكَ الْقِنْدِيلِ الْمُعَلَّقِ 
it looked as if there was a lantern that was hanging when people saw that light. The first person that he went to was his dad. He was an old man and also the leader of the tribe. Tufayl bin Amr al-Dawsi has a rough temperament. He's a tough guy. This was a group of people that were known for being a little rough and he was one of his people. The first thing that he says to his dad, إِلَيْكَ anni ya abati, فَلَسْتُ mink وَلَسْتَ minni." Dad, keep the distance. You and I are not from one another anymore. وَلِمَ يَا Why is that? لَقَدْ أَسْلَمْتُ وَتَابَعْتُ دِينَ Muhammad. Because I became Muslim and I followed the religion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So his father says, old man, he says, Ay Bunay, oh my dear son, Dinu Dini Dinuk. My religion is whatever your religion is. So if you're a Muslim, then I'm Muslim too. So he says to his father, Go and wash yourself, and I will teach you what I was taught. His father accepts Islam. What a blessing to have a son like this. That you're headed in one direction in life, and then your son is the source of hidayah for you. That your, your son is your source of entry into Jannah. After teaching his father some Islam, he then heads home, and his wife approached him. Same thing to his wife. Keep your distance. We aren't of one another. She says, Why? The same answer. That Islam is now a difference between us. So then she says that my religion is your religion too. So he says to her, that go and wash yourself. She says to him that aren't you afraid that if we leave the religion of our idols, that our idols will strike us? Aren't you worried that our idols will kill us? This is a really real sentiment for someone that's worshipped idols their entire life and all they know is fearing and they live under the rock of superstition. This is a very big deal. So Tufail bin Amr al-Dawsi says, I fear none of them. They can do nothing to us. And she accepts Islam. His family accepts Islam and then he continues inviting others to the deen. He hits some roadblocks, some people oppose him, a few people accept Islam. Some time passes by and he, in one narration, he heads back to meet Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa asked him, how's the da'wah going in Dawus? That's his tribe. He says, O Messenger of Allah, my people, they're a little distracted. They're not accepting Islam. They're being a little stubborn. And in a few, a few narrations that the Ashab al-Siyad have narrated, one thing that he repeatedly says is, my people are unfortunately addicted to zina. Zina is everywhere in my community. So a messenger of Allah make dua that Allah purifies them of this immorality. To that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Allahumma hdi dawsan, Allahumma hdi dawsan, Allahumma hdi dawsan. Oh Allah, guide the people of those. Guide this tribe, oh Allah, guide this tribe. Then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says to him, Tufail, head back home. 
So Tufail bin Amr al-Dawsi, he heads back home. This is still in Mecca Mukarramah. The Prophet is still in Mecca. Now he himself says, my time away from Rasulullah was very hard on me. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like it. It was heavy on my chest. But it was an instruction of the Prophet He didn't want to be away from those. He, wanted to be, he didn't want to be away from the Prophet. He wanted to be away from his people and with the Prophet. But Rasulullah categorically said to him, you will head back. He heads back to his people and continues inviting them to Islam. One day at a time, one group at a time, one family at a time. And that's fascinating because when a person loves their deen and has a true love for Allah and the Messenger of Allah, the lesson of da'wah can never stop flowing from their lips. They will want for others what they want for themselves. With wisdom, being mindful of place and time, not being overbearing, not boring people of the message. One time the students of Abdullah bin Mas'ud said to him that how nice would it be if you would lecture us every day. He would deliver a lecture to them weekly, once a week. They said, how amazing would it be if you lectured us every day? So Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mas'ud said that you would then be bored. So we will lecture you when we feel appropriate for you. That's the job of the teacher, the scholar, that they also gauge the interest in the student, not give them too much, but at the same time, keep pulling them along. Tufail bin Amr al-Dawsi, he heads back home and he's giving his da'wah to the people. He says, I missed participation in the Battle of Badr. I also missed participation in the Battle of Uhud. It was hard on me to know that my Prophet was out there fighting for his life, and here I was, I couldn't join him. I also missed participation in the Battle of Khandaq. But after when Rasulullah was in Khaybar, we decided to make the trek. So along with 80 odd companions of his, they traveled and arrived to Medina Munawwara. The Prophet wasn't in Medina, he had gone to Khaybar. So then they prayed Salah behind one companion and then made their way to Khaybar. And when they arrived in Khaybar, Rasulullah saw them and he saw his dear Tufail bin Amr, his beloved. The man who believed in him in the early days, who went back to his people and spent years away from him despite his love and desire to be nowhere else in the world other than the side of Rasulullah And Tufayl hasn't come alone, he's come with gifts. He's come with a tribe. And in that tribe that's now come with him is a person that for the first time he introduces to the Prophet. He says, there's this young man from my tribe that accepted Islam. I'd like, you to, I'd like to introduce you to him. His name is Abu Huraira. And that's where Abu Hurairah for the first time sees Rasulullah Abu Hurairah is a result of the sacrifice, the hard work of Tufail bin Amr al-Tawsi. He is a result of that dua, Allahumma Mahdi Dawsan. 
the dua that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam made. And it's fascinating because sometimes there's a sacrifice that you endure and you have no idea why you're taking it on. It's possible Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam told him to head back to his people and keep digging through those hearts because there was one heart that really needed Islam. Because that one heart would then become the vessel that would serve hadith to the corners of the world. That light that was on the corner of his whip was about to be transferred to the heart of someone from his tribe. And then from there, that light would be transferred to the hearts of millions and billions of trillions of people that just have one desire, and that is to profess La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. And this is the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the doing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Very classy and very special, and all the dots are very carefully placed. Sometimes if you feel like in life you're spinning, and you're not going anywhere, just maintain sincerity and work under the guidance of someone who has wisdom. Mark my words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will let it all come together when the time is right. Allah will bring it all together when the time is right. Tufail bin Amr al-Dawsi, after returning back from Khaybar, this time he makes it very clear, O Messenger of Allah, I'm not leaving. I'm staying. And I'm staying by your side. And from that point until the passing of Rasulullah he was with Nabi every day. When the Prophet passed away, he continued, he continued to live in Medina Munawwara and there was an issue that the Muslims encountered a group of uh, Arabs turned away from the deen. And there's a lot of detail here, uh, a lot of uh, discussion and what does it mean that they became apostates and how many of them, what happened. There's a lengthier discussion here. But anyway, Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq prepared armies to go and deal with these false prophets that were creating shuck and doubt in the hearts of people and leading uh, the tribes to apostasy. Tufail bin Amr al-Dawsi joined them and he fought side by side with the great Sahaba. And not only did he join the army, he took his son, Amr bin Tufail bin uh, al-Dawsi. He took his, Amr bin Tufail took his son with him too. The army went from one place to the next place, to the third place, to the fourth place until finally they were headed towards Yamama, the big battle, against Musaylama Kadhab. All the remaining false prophets consolidated under the banner of Musaylama, the false prophet, because they realized if they remained independent, the army of Abu Bakr Siddiq would wipe them all out one by one. So they consolidated. They stood under the banner of Musaylama Kadhab, the people of Banu Hanif. And then after that, he, um, the Battle of Yamama occurred, which was very tough. Many great Qurra were martyred, and it was after this battle that the Qur'an was compiled in the written format officially as a document um, uh, under the Khilafah of Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq because so many Hufad had departed from the world. Tufail bin Amr al-Dawsi was one of the participants in that battle.
one day he was sitting with his companions. They're waiting for the battle to start. And he says to them, he was sleeping and he woke up. He's sitting with them and he says, I saw a dream. They said, what was your dream? I saw that my head was shaved. And that a bird exited from my mouth. And that a mother, a lady, she took me and entered me into her womb. My head was shaved, a bird exited from my mouth, and a lady put me into her womb. And as she entered me into her womb, my son, Amr, began to look for me left and right, but there was a barrier between us. We couldn't be together. He turned to the people around him and said, What's the dream? What's the interpretation? So um, the companions, they said to him, Khairan, that it is a good dream. Khaira, it was a good dream. Qala, he then said, Ama ana wallahi faqad awwaltuha. You say it's a good dream, and I agree with you, but I have interpreted each part of that dream. Awwaltuha, I have an interpretation for the full dream. Qalu mada? Qala, amma halqu ra'si fawadu'uhu as for my head being shaved, the interpretation of that is my head will be severed. I will lose my head. I will die soon. As for the bird, as for the bird that exited my mouth, was an indication of the ruh exiting my mouth. As for the lady who entered me into her womb, that lady represented the dunya, and her womb is my grave, meaning that I will be buried under the ground very soon. I will go back to where I came from, the womb. The womb, in this case, is not the mother, it's the dunya. مِنْهَا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ وَفِيهَا نُعِيدُكُمْ And my son, he will look for me. But there will be a barrier between us until he will come and join me. The next day, Tufail bin Amr al-Dawsi fought a courageous battle in Yamama until he was martyred. His blood was spilled. But the spilling of the blood of a shaheed should never be of worry to the believer. Because for them it's an honor. Once they experience that shahada, all the fears that precede shahada disappear once a person tastes that shahada. 
And they see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never abandons those that stand for Him. So even though their bodies are being pulled out of rubble, and the father is carrying the corpse of his child on his shoulder to a hospital, and everyone in the world is crying that, ah, but the shaheed from his grave is announcing to the ummah that lives that don't lose hope in Allah. There's no need for your pity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored me with the most beautiful honor of this dunya. The Prophet alayhi salatu said, لَوَجِدْتُ أَنْ أُقْتَلْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ ثُمَّ أُحْيَا ثُمَّ أُقْتَلْ ثُمَّ أُحْيَا ثُمَّ أُقْتَلْ ثُمَّ أُحْيَا ثُمَّ أُقْتَلْ ثُمَّ أُحْيَا that I desire to be killed in the path of Allah and then brought back to life. And then martyred again. And then brought back to life. And then martyred again. And then brought back to life. And then martyred again. And then brought back to life. Such is the honor of shahada. Alam Iqbal, he writes in his Jawab al-Shikwa, that the spilling of the blood of the shaheed, it resembles the redness that spreads across the horizon right before the sun actually rises. The shaheed is calling out like the adhan of fajr that change is on its way. Something big is going to happen. When the shaheed's blood spills, the sun is about to rise. The ummah will wake up. Humanity will wake up. Because it is in the fitrah of the insan to not be fooled by propaganda. The human being desires the truth. They want to see the truth. And as long as they're sincere, Allah Azawajal will open their eyes. Tufail bin Amr al-Dawsi, he is martyred in the battle of Yamama. His son continued the path that his father lived, serving the deen, and serving the Khulafa. During the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an. Now actually, while he was fighting with his father, Umar, while he was fighting with his father in Yamama, he lost an arm. This is an interesting point. He lost an arm. One day during the Khilafah of Umar radiallahu an, Umar bin Tufail was seated with the Khalifa and some food was presented. There were a lot of people sitting there. So, as they started eating, Umar noticed that Amr did not eat. So then he asked him, why are you not eating? Amr says to him that my arm was chopped off, so I feel shy eating in front of people. So Umar says to him, I will not eat until you eat with your Mubarak hand. Because there is not a person in this gathering who has a part of him already waiting in Jannah other than you. Wallahi ma fil qawmi ahadun ba'duhu fil jannati illa ant. Everyone else is trying to figure out whether it'll be in the, where they'll be in the hereafter. A part of you is already waiting in Jannah. Amr bin Tufail. He joined 
the Muslims in Sham. And just like his father was honored with Shahada in the Battle of Yarmouk. Such is the story of Tufail bin Amr al-Dawsi. A long life in service of the deen. Spent the first part of his life in Jahiliyyah and then becomes Muslim but then is tested with separation from the Prophet But then when he's with Nabi wasallam, he does khidmah in a manner that was unique to him, it was special. Like every day, every night he was with Rasulullah. All the salawat behind Rasulullah And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses him with shahada and his family too. So many lessons to learn. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to um, internalize the sacrifice of the Sahaba. May He allow us to benefit from their hard work, their persistence. May Allah give us the sweetness of serving the deen while we live these few temporary years in the dunya. So when we stand in front of Allah on the Day of Judgment and meet His Prophet, the Prophet ﷺ embraces us. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower His mercy on all those that are struggling and um, fill the graves of the shuhada with nur and lighten the heart of the family members that live. May He guide the Muslims in our times of darkness and difficulty. وصلى الله تعالى على سيدنا محمد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته